Hey everybody, I hope you and your loved ones are safe, happy and healthy. Before you listen to or watch the show, remember to subscribe and follow the Mortgage Broker Club on Facebook and LinkedIn to stay up to date with all the latest news and updates. Please note we are not a mortgage broker and do not lend money directly to clients. Remember a mortgage and or borrowing secured against your home or property can be repossessed if you do not keep up the mortgage repayments. The content of this show is for information purposes only and is not to be relied upon. Stay well and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Sean Rogers, and I am delighted to be joined on today's show by Graham Wilson of Tracker Hub and Options Mortgage Centre. On today's show, we are going to be picking Graham's brains on mortgages and getting all the latest updates Graham is seeing across Options Mortgage Centre and Tracker Hub. Please think carefully before securing other debts against your home. Your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or any other debt secured on it. If you're thinking of consolidating existing borrowing, you should be aware that you may be extending the terms of the debt and increasing the total amount you repay. Some buy-to-let mortgages are not regulated by the equity FCA and equity release from your home will also be secured against it. What we discuss in this show is for information purposes only and is not advice to be relied upon. Now that that disclaimer is out of the way and I can put my teeth back in and get a breath, how are you, Graham? How are things? Yeah, good. Good, thanks, Sean. And thanks very much for having me back on your fantastic show platform. I do appreciate it. And it looks like behind you, though, you've got plenty of bustling people going on. Uh, they've all gone for a coffee. They've, they've gone back to work. So uh, I take it you've got a spare minute to talk to me. So thanks. I was going to say the same to you, mate. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah the they've all gone out. Me. They've got... <laughs> they've all gone out on a training course outside. It's raining, but I told them to stop moaning. I think me and you have forgotten our links. Africa, maybe, maybe it's that. <laughs> maybe we have, yeah. Or brute. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. No, you're right. Well, it's good to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me. No, it's brilliant that you've given up the time to come on the show and, and provide so much great value to us as always, Graham. So thank you. Um kicking off with mortgages, what are the most common reasons at the moment for mortgage declines? And have you seen changes in lender criteria, especially when it comes to affordability? I know it's a, it's a cracking question. It's almost like you'd plan that question as the very first question. I would say, and I've been thinking about this one, is, is furlough obviously was the biggest one for us uh, and for self-employed. The ones that have taken the grants, of course, which to be fair is a large bulk because the economy was affected over the pandemic. So um, the ripple effects from taking furlough from the uh, SEIS grants that self-employed people have taken have rippled through the market and caused these declines. So, for instance, there's been certain lenders that won't entertain the deep dive in uh, further into, obviously, their incomes and they're worried that is that reflective of how their business is now when compared to the business moving forward after the pandemic, post-pandemic? That, that's been the big one for ourselves, actually. And the research that we've had to do has been extensive. Some lenders have been good, not, not naming any, but some have said, well, actually, if we negated the pandemic um, a year, what was it like before? What's the projection like after? Now, to me, Sean, that's sensible, that's sensible underwriting and a sensible approach, and it helps people. And I think sometimes lenders are guilty 
of forgetting who pays the bills for that particular lender, who pays the interest. It's the client at the end of the day. If they're a risk before the pandemic, then yes, potentially they're going to be a risk after. If they had a thriving business that's been affected in that milestone, and it really was a milestone, the pandemic, wasn't it? It's a, it's a freaky thing. Then effectively, are they going to be a risk afterwards? So, you know, that, that that's it. Risk and reward. Hopefully the reward's greater and, and people do get back on track. And it's looking like, to me, a lot more lenders are now switching back on to older criteria. They've still got the furlough hat on as well. But I've had I've had more success um, post pandemic now after we've had the time from when it first started, obviously, to now anyway. Uh, and the same for protection, touching on that, the protection side of things as well, you know, talking about um, COVID-19 and how that's affected them. So, yeah, it has. It's not just been mortgages, it's rippled through protection as well. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I'd probably say furlough and the grants. That's been the biggest one for ourselves. And when you're completing a mortgage application, what's your advice for addressing the outgoings that that would appear in the bank statements? Um, you know, are there are outgoings or liabilities which sometimes are commonly, you know, not considered by a lender, e.g., do they consider your private pension as a liability? Reason I'm asking the question, we've seen, I mean, this has always happened, but we've been hearing that quite a lot of applicants are filling in the mortgage application form, if you like, on their outgoings, and it's not reflecting the true position of the bank statements. Yes, you mean um, application to actual submission or proposal to submission? Yeah, I mean, my firm's got 14 advisors and across that there's an array of advisors there that they're, they're pretty on it, they'll check bank statements, they'll share the screen with the client and go through exactly what's what, that's your Sky Television, that's, that's what you're pretty much spending, farm foods, that's pretty much what you're spending on Sky, and they'll they'll be accurate, and there'll be some other brokers, they'll try and guess, budget, my admin staff then have to do a check, and then we have to retrospectively go back, that's human, humanity, not everybody's as thorough as the other person. Uh, I'm not for retrospective, um, if you're going to submit an application, it's got to be in real time. So um, you're quite right. Looking at pensions, I had one just yesterday when I was looking at a set of questions for today, actually. Uh, and, and one was a lender that does deduct, that do deduct um, pensions from pay slips. They'll do it. Um, I think Anton Deck advertised for that particular lender. But I'll tell you what's interesting. I did an affordability yesterday on a remortgage. It was a client of mine. I did 35-year mortgage two years ago. The two-year fix is coming up for review. Interest rates, as we know, historically are rock bottom at the minute. Um, and the house prices are increasing. So you've got this fantastic niche moment in time where he's already at 75% loan-to-value. So from that, I did a full affordability check. Um, I included the pensions. I changed the net to match his payslip. And it failed affordability by 600 quid. But then I noticed that he pays for his lunches at £16 on his payslip. So I, I, and I, and I would class that. He can start making sandwiches and taking it in, you know. So I said, would you be all right with making sandwiches and jam butties if you had to cancel that particular payment? And he said, if, if the crooks came to it, he said, I would eat uh, a rice cracker. I said, that's fine. That's all I need to know. And do you know what? Taking that 16 quid out of the equation then meant that it actually fit perfectly to the pound. It, it agreed at a 30-year mortgage, so three years off, agreed, and he still saved £17. So when you're talking about accuracy, 
That, to me, is exactly what it is. And it's knowing the criteria. At one time, that particular lender would say, no, 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 it's, uh, it's on his pace that we've got to take it. But now it's discretionary now. So they'll say, are there any discretionary payments that if push came to shove, they would mitigate it and cancel it off, i.e. eating jam butties? The answer is yes. So they would just ignore that, but still take the pension. And on, the basis, on the basis of that £16 annualised, they would then lend the extra 600 quid. So it just shows you that was near to the board yesterday. And that probably happened about two hours after you'd sent me the proposal for today. And I thought, well, what a great example that would be for, for Sean and, and his listeners. You know, that's just me drone looking looking over what's going on. To exactly. Me, to yeah, me. it is. Yeah, you must have thought, hang on a minute, I'll ask him that question. Yeah. yeah. You Jeff Bezos me from Amazon, you drilled me. Yeah. Exactly. It, we're in every Alexa, every every, every voice device around. Yeah. Yeah, um, but let me just show you it's amazing. I mean, I use um, affordability calculators, you know, I don't mind saying it's called MBT. It's great, I love it. That's actually got me business where it assesses affordability across all the market. You probably know that yourself. There's other there's other affordability calculators out there as well. But yeah, we're big fans I, of mortgage broker tools, yeah. Um, MBT is great. Yeah, MBT is good. We use 27 Tech. Uh, if you have any issues or want to check anything else, we use X Plan. So technology is taking over, but MBT for us and producing reports, you, you'd be shocked. The difference sometimes for affordability is as much as twenty to thirty thousand. You know. So uh, I don't know, as a broker, how you'd actually cope otherwise now without such likes as Knowledge Bank, MBT, you know, my, my legal club yourself dealt with the conveyancing side. Technology is is here, isn't it? And it's here to stay and it's here to help. So, yeah, very important to go back to your initial question. Very important to scrutinise bank statements and to work alongside the client. And, and the other good thing with that is you find out what they're paying with the life cover. You find out if they've got home insurance. You find out other things that are on there that opens up a new world of what you can review for the client. Spot on. And, and we've been hearing that, you know, credit score, credit report issues, adverse credit, um, those issues I suspect are going to get worse potentially in 2022 than maybe they've been in the past for a number of different reasons we could debate. But if you get rejected with your plan A because of adverse credit and, and the credit report, like what are your other options, if any, Graham? How would you go yeah. about handling a situation like that? Well, plan A is always the only plan, I would say, because I, you know, having your arsenal there in front of you to know exactly what you're dealing with, there shouldn't really be a plan B if you know what the credit file's like already. So what I'm trying to say is we always um, say to the clients when we're booking them in, can you go to check my file, apply for the free 30 days and give us a copy of it via our new client portal that we've got? So they'll upload that. And we'll look at the credit file before we even propose a mortgage. So plan A then shouldn't really fall down. And you, what you're doing there is you're saving time for the client and time for ourselves. Because there's nothing worse than keying it with a prime lender, thinking it doesn't stick. You've wasted a good hour keying it or whatever it would be. And then you're having to go back to a plan B. So the idea then is we get the credit files first. And a typical example of that was last week. Um, we said, get your credit file. And the client was shocked that they had a United Utilities CCJ issued two days before for £542. And it was for the buy to let. The tenant hadn't paid it. The water bill was in his name, the, the, the client's name, uh, and CCJ'd him for over 500 quid. Well, at the minute, he's trying to sort it. But that would that would never be keyed, so it wasn't. So I never keyed it. 
that saved me time, saved the customer's time, and I just pushed it back saying, when you've sorted it, got it off your credit file, come back. So plan A should always be in connection with what the credit file says, not plan A, key it, and then get the credit file. It's kind of like the horse has bolted them. So that, that's always my that's always my aim. Yeah. And we've seen declines coming through on property uh, types, um, properties named nightclubs, off licenses, yeah. uh, could be a flat above a shop as a lender. We just, you know, the lender doesn't believe it's a desirable property. In the event of a repossession, they may struggle. Um, it could be residential, a buy to let, it could be non standard construction types. Now, ultimately, a lot of that's going to be to do with the lender, to do with the surveyors, of course. But is there anything you can do to mitigate this against that? Is it something that is spotted and nipped in the bud? You know, when you're reviewing this, um, are there specific lenders that are less aggressive perhaps than others when it comes to that kind of thing? Yeah, there are. You're right. Yeah, that goes back to what we were just saying about the credit file, the property. The property is a criteria in itself. You know, I had a lender this morning, um, HSBC, for instance, that gave feedback on a property that's down south. So let's say Brighton Way. Um, It's a block of flats. Effectively, it's near the sea of course, Brighton, but also um, there's no lift. So therefore it's classed as high, medium to high risk. So they've said, look, maximum 20% um, deposit now. You've got to do a 20% deposit, sorry, minimum 20% deposit. We were going for 25% deposit. So um, so yeah, so 15% deposit, scrap that. We were going for 15% deposit and they said they wanted 20. So on that basis, um, we have to go back to the client. It's an extra 7,000 quid to get to that 80% loan to value. So that just shows you how the property can affect. Now, um, as it is, that's probably down to myself. Did I ask there was a lift? Did we? There was only a few boxes in the flat? No, I, I, I would say on that basis then, it just shows you how important the property is. And, and also, um, you know, to have it in line with the credit file, you're perfect. Credit file and property should go hand in hand, of course, with affordability. So yeah, very important. Try and mitigate it best you can. Yeah, I think there's a lot. Of, I think it's probably more city based and potentially more southern based. And I think there's places where the lift might go up to like the sixth floor, and your client might like live on the ninth. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's. Um, I could do with living in that apartment block. I could do with the extra walking up and down where the lift stops at a certain. So I have to go up. The problem is I'm claustrophobic as well, Sean. So I don't get in lifts. Get the steps in. So I get the steps in. Yeah, I don't like small areas. Yeah, exactly. That's why I've got a big office here. But, uh, but yeah, so very important. And, uh, and, and you know, I'd say it's one of them, really. Get to know these local surveyors too, because if you need to speak to them about a particular property, it's a winner. If you've received a, a recent salary increase, uh, maybe you've changed jobs um, within the last three months, six months, maybe even 12, um, what factors do lenders consider for there to be a positive or a negative impact in respect to you know the application and affordability and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, is there a minimum time frame for employment and how does the visibility or the viability, sorry, of the mortgage impact on that? You know, what what can you or a client do to demonstrate anything to support that application? Yeah, usually it's a letter from employer, isn't it, Sean? You know, a letter from employer, we've got to look at the pay slips that they've had previous as well. Um, and what they've been earning, likelihood, uh, you know, due diligence being a factor here as well. You know, you've, you've got to think what's the likelihood of the increase? How feasible is it? Do we even want to speak to the employer ourselves and give them a call? And yes, in, in, in most instances, I do. 
Uh, we'll do printouts from Google. We'll find out about the company. We'll see if it is feasible that, yes, this company can sustain that particular increase. If, if it's vanilla in the sense that it's a no-brainer, it's somebody who works for the, the government, then typically a letter. NHS is a good one. They've recently had pay rises of 3%, so they've had the letter. Uh, and usually the letter's enough, company with the pay slips, um, and they'll factor it in. Some lenders, if it's as long as three months or six months in advance, they'll actually take it now, that particular uh, increase in pay. So even though you might complete on your current salary, they'll take your future salary based on now. Now, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not lending the money. I don't know whether I'd lend money on somebody on future-based salaries, but of course, they must have data that says, yeah, do you know what, in what, they, they, we can take the risk. So, yeah, so I don't know if you knew that, Sean, yourself, but... No, I mean, I was assuming there'd be a minimum time of, of that change being in place. If that no. makes, you know, like it's like we want to see maybe, I don't know, at least one pay slip, but potentially I would have assumed maybe three. The... You'd, assume, you'd assume that out of a logical sense, wouldn't you, really? But uh, but no, no, um, if I had a letter today, even a new employment contract, um, if it was in six months' time, there's a specific lender that would actually take that as now so i had a teacher um she, she had just qualified and in six months she'd just been given a full permanent position at a local school now she's a first time buyer she's not earning any, any income at the minute because she's just qualified she's got this job and i've actually taken that income the lender's fully approved it and she completed about two months ago bought her first house yeah exactly that, yeah. i'm assuming that's because of the profession Oh, no. And the fact that it's not private sector is that right or Cra wrong? Crazy, you know. No, you, yeah, you, yeah. And that, that is what you'd assume, but uh, no, no. It's pretty much for anything. It's not just because of the really. Profession. So, if she had a contract of employment from, let's call it a small limited company in the private sector, saying there's a job in X amount of time, and that's the salary. Because again, if you're a teacher, go or you know, like you said, the NHS, public sector. If they offer you a job, it's not you know heaven forbid but it's not like the school's going anywhere is it like unless cutbacks come massive like the reality is the school's there it's pretty solid correct pretty solid, solid job in essence yeah. so even if it was a small limited company hypothetically i've got a contract of employment there i would have thought that was an immediate probably no like you would but hypothetically a lender would still maybe look at that exactly and, and maybe is the key um we've got to look at due diligence that's when we check on me, we, we do companies' house searches, we speak to the employer, we get a feel for it, um, we'll ask for everything that comes with the employment contracts, uh, we'll speak to the accountant, we'll get letters from the accountant, we'll do everything due diligence-wise, we'll look at the background of the person that's in front of us as well, and what's their background. So if they've been studying, then of course they may not have had a permanent job. If they've had uh, jobs in the past, then we want to know their history. But yeah, you're quite right, about, I would say, 80% of the time, I've managed to place cases where in three months or six months, they're actually starting a new employer or their first employer and still manage to lend the money on today on today's uh, time frame. That's amazing. And uh, and bravo on that basis of, of knowing that you can place that kind of... Well, kind that, of that's, just, that's just knowledge, actually, isn't it, that? Yeah. And the same goes for probation as well. Um, I get quite a few messages from clients saying, I've got my mate, he's just started a new job, but he's in probation. He is permanent, but can he come to you after three months? I said, not after three months, no. He can come now. Lenders will lend and ignore probation. Wow. Um 
you learn something new every day, don't you, mate? You learn something new. It, well, I you, do. You to me. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I mean, I, mean, I need to. I'm, well, exactly. <laughs> I need, need to learn a lot more than I, one I thing. Need, I need to tell you. I mean, I've been doing this, what is it? I've been in financial services for 22 years, but I've seen a lot of changes. When I became a broker back in 2010, so it's like 11 years ago, um, it opened my eyes. I was thinking, my goodness, I went from I went from working in the banks at Royal Bank of Scotland and Santander, where you're just dealing with one particular product, of course. You want a two-year fix, three-year fix, an offset mortgage. We even did the current account mortgage at Royal Bank. I, I thought that was a great deal. But, um, but when I left back in 2010... My goodness, you think to yourself, well, how do you know all the criteria? And it's impossible. And our friend Nicola, as we know, Nicola Firth, um, she came up with a knowledge bank. I thought that was great. That really helped. But that wasn't there back in 2010. You just had to do your research and call every client. But then since then, you do remember the finer points. You don't have to remember everything. But if you remember things like what we've just discussed, another one, for instance, would be, um, and you've not touched on this just yet, but uh, pension income. Um, if, if you're uh, employed at the minute and you're going to retire at 66, then I've just done one quite recently. She wanted £50,000. She was buying a new build. Um, she earns, what is it now? Eight, she's on 14 grand a year and she gets a little private pension of five grand because she's only 63. So therefore, I said, well, what happens at 66? Well, at 66, I retire and I also get my state pension, which is going to be the best part of 9,800 quid. I said, that's cool. So she's 63. I've managed to do a term uh, on a mortgage to age 80. Yeah, to age 80. I've used the pension income from 66 for a state pension. I've used a personal pension that she's already got now. And I've used her earned income up to 66. Then said that that cuts off. And then the re and it, it's agreed. It's, it's affordability at 50,000. The previous broker, the maximum he got was 38. And he, and he was trying to do it till 70. I said, well, you don't want a seven-year mortgage. It'll kill you. I'm, I'm surprised you can even do it. So, yeah, so, yeah, she, she's over the moon. And yeah. is that down to, is that down, Graham, to you just having a better knowledge of the lenders or using a different lender? Or is that down to some of the other tools that you use? Like, what, why, what, what would be the variable between your approach there? And what I'm trying to get at is, is that, how, what on the scale, is that 100% down to, like, just human beings being different or is it that your your knowledge or you're using different tools or something else well yeah why would he have thirty eight thousand and i get 50 um he said i don't know how your broker this is what he said to the woman to my client um he said i don't know your broker actually managed to get fifty thousand to age 80 because that lender does not lend to 80 and you can't do this and you can't do that the truth is... Can you do, do like, you a Google review? You know what, mate? Can you do you a Google review? I, I'd like him to. I'd like to find out who it was. The, the, the truth is then, it, you know, it is agreed to 80. She's gone to offer on the property today, actually. She's gone to offer on today. And she's known me for years and I've known the family, but why why do I know and they don't? Um, well, knowledge is power. That's a true saying. Knowledge is power. And, it, and I suppose with the size of our company we probably come across more cases like that that aren't vanilla than, than are. So I think from that point of view, because we're dealing with high volume, we're, we're learning quicker and we're learning faster and we're learning harder. And, you know, I think from that perspective, if we're doing, my goodness, my business partner alone in uh, Options Mortgage Centre, he probably does 600 applications a year. Um, I probably account for 300. 
So just between me and him, we're doing a thousand a year. So there's a lot of learning there. Yeah. And then of course advisors will call us up because we we, we we do so much. We get a lot of BDM support, we use knowledge bank, we use everything. But yeah, a lot of tip of the winks from BDMs to say, look, did you know that we could do this? And you know we go to 18. Did you know? So there's a few digital. Yeah, I was gonna ask you that. Do you think lenders should do more about the criteria changes rather than I don't know, putting it at the bottom or almost higher than it, if you see what I mean? Like I think everyone appreciates there's a, there's always gonna be a reason, good or bad, for whatever the criteria changes be. But how do you think they do a good enough job in terms of communicating that to the industry, if you like? No, I d- no, I, no, I think it's rather poor, actually. And I think that's why um, you get something like uh, Knowledge Bank that actually has to be there. And, and even then, I have to feed back on Knowledge Bank, and so will other users, that that information is incorrect. Um like, for instance, a typical example is minimum property values on buy-to-lets. Uh, you know, some of them are wrong. And I had to message back saying the lender needs to update it. They've updated their criteria now and blah, blah, blah. So I think from that perspective, I think they forget that criteria is the main driver for getting the business. If your criteria is so unique but complex at the same time, then we do need it written down. Yeah, exactly right. So Yeah, and so you, yeah. Think that, you would think the lenders who have got more complex criteria like that like you've got a vested like you have to shout about that more because the, the big six are going to take what they take anyway so my view is your communication's got to be five star to because if you're relying on stuff that might be a bit more quirky or a bit specialist or especially if you've made recent changes the last thing you want to do is annoy people it's competitive a market as it is you don't need brokers going you stung me in not deliberately but you stung me on that like that i'm gonna if i've got a choice of where to go on this i'm not going there again like like it's such a competitive industry it's not personnel i don't mean this that people are fickle what i mean is because of the competitiveness it's dead easy to go well i'll use them rather than them. that's right that's exactly right yeah And, and and the main point is we'll use criteria above interest rates and we'll use service above interest rates you might be an extra six pounds more seven pounds ten pounds twenty pounds more a month but if you know in your heart of hearts you're going to get a better service and it's going to fit criteria the customer's not really bothered about 20 30 quid it's about the end result and um when you talk about the big six that criteria that i've just gone through with uh, my client that that was the number one lender in the united kingdom would do that it's a prime uh, high street lender it's not quirky building society criteria it's 280, using pension income from 66 as future-based while she's earning and getting a personal pension at the same time. That, now, it is, you might think to yourself, well, actually, that is quite complex on paper. But in reality, pre- pretty easy. And, and, and you could quite easily lose business. So you talk about that person who said it can't be done. They've lost one job. To lose one job, is it worth them finding out about criteria? It's probably nothing for them. But to me... Being self-employed, they're employed, I'm self-employed. I've got to pay my staff, got to pay my bills, got to make sure I've got a viable company. Um, and, and I think from that, it drives me more to drill down, learn quicker, learn faster and learn harder about criteria, you know, provide a great service. You've done a lot of recruitment, Graham. I mean, just what, from what you're telling me, the impression I'm getting is it's your fact find. 
is the impression I'm getting is extru- like the fact find of it's- the person, the family, the like everything. When you're when when you're recruiting and, and or, or the younger generation are coming through, do you, like because of the way you've come through the industry, like it's almost been ingrained in you the fact find with modern technology and stuff. Is is the fact find still at the same level? Do you think as it is? Like it seems to me that you're doing the fact find in that way, so that if something changes, you know enough already about so you where don't have you to go back. Move. Yeah, exactly right. Do you know what? Before we started recording this, or even yesterday, I was in the car and I was thinking about you, Sean, because I often do. And I thought, what's the most important thing that I've got? And I thought, yeah, it's not it's not my arsenal of many, you know, MBTs and knowledge banks and tracker hub, you know, everything that we use system-wise. It's not all that. It actually just comes down to what you just said. It's the fact find. That is the best tool that I've got. You know, I sit down with a client and I start off with the name, the date of birth, where they live, where were they born. I find everything about them. What are the kids? How old are the kids? Do they have any expenses related to the kids? You were talking about expenses earlier. You know, could be paying £400 to nursery a month. But So you'll build a picture. And I I delve into that fact find. Um, It's almost like a life story. And yeah, it might take me an hour, might take me an hour and 15, but the customers really appreciate it. Then I've got enough about them to know uh, what life covenants they've got, what critical illness covenants they've got, what happens if they're off sick, because at that point I'll say, how long do you get paid if you're off sick? Do you have any death in service, etc.? cetera? Um, do you have anything to provide for the family? It's all right with the mortgage covered, but what about your children? How would they cope up to age 21, 25, whatever it might be? And you build a picture up. So you're dead right, um, Sean, in that sense, that the fact find is everything. So when I do take on new advisors, you'll be surprised. Not everybody thinks that way. They think the fact find is just a paper-filling exercise to a means of getting a mortgage. But it's so much more than that. The fact find is exactly what it is. It's the facts about the customer that's in front of you and what you what they're expecting from you. So I say to the clients, you tell me what you're expecting of me today. Well, I definitely want this house. I absolutely love it. What's your budget? Well, I'm thinking about 500 quid. No problem. I'll tell you what freaks people out is when you say, right, 500 quid would get you a 33-year mortgage rather than a 35. For some reason, naturally, brokers at the minute, and I'm talking just generically, could just quote 35 straight away, or even 40 years. But drill down to the budget, and if it's 500 quid, you could say 33 years and 32 years. And people say to me, what? You could do a you could do a 33? I thought you had to do it in fives, 25, 30, 35, 40. No, I said, you can do, there are years in between these five years. Do you know what I mean? They think it doesn't exist. You can't do 33. Oh, jeez. And, um, yeah, so it's weird. But, uh, you do but, yeah. numbers. I'm assuming you can do prime numbers. You can do prime numbers. You can do odd numbers. You can do even numbers. That's exactly right. So, so that, that that made me laugh. And um, yeah, when you're talking to first-time buyers, especially, they'll go to a broker, and uh, that broker will particularly say, "Yeah, we'll do a thirty-five year in a mortgage," but they've not done the fact find. Actually, can can they afford six hundred quid? And then the good news then is, ask for a budget for the protection side as well. Ask for a budget for the home insurance, and uh, you know, before you know it, you've got into a great conversation around the fact find itself. So. Fact, find, sure, you've hit the nail, is key. And, and if the first plan A, which I always like to keep as a plan A, falls over, 
then plan B is never too far away because you've got the credit file and I've already got the fact find. I know them. You know, I know where they work. I know what the plans are, future income, whatever it might be. So, yeah, well said, Sean. You've, you've hit the nail on the head and I'm glad you kind of gleaned that from what I was saying. No, it's the same with um, good commercial lawyers, uh, litigators um, and the like in that quite often one of the biggest things is is the, the legal equivalent of the fact find on the basis that the more detailed instructions and, and knowing the questions, and even if you don't know the questions to ask sometimes at the start, just the more information you can gain, what you end up doing as a litigator or any kind of commercial dispute potentially or anything really could be to do with business partners, you you almost start seeing how you can beat it yourself. Your brain's already ticking over from yeah. the very start to go, how can I defeat this? How How might this not go the way I plan on this going and therefore your strategy straight away is amazing and i like that thing that you know if we want to walk 100 miles just moving that compass by a couple of degrees as you start going further and further down the track gets well you end up a long way from where you potentially want to be and similar to what you've said i find that with technology coming in and other things coming in i'm not sure in the league i think in the legal world that, that as prices got crunched particularly in the in the civil litigator field, that the equivalent of the fact find bit the dust a little yeah. bit. And it was a bit like social media, like there's a rush to be first, not to get the news right. And there's a bit of a rush to get the case up and running and blather it through and, and you know, get moving. And like you say, so I think it's not just limited to that sector that the fact find, A, is still as important as it ever were, but also maybe 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 it's underappreciated in turn you know. it is underappreciated i totally agree yeah and it's the one free thing that we've got you know you you know all right you might pay for a crm system but it's built within it but effectively it's a free format you can even do it on a word document it's free but it's the best and the best about it is when you're doing it with the client the client really appreciates it because they can see how thorough you're being you know, to the nth degree. Like when I said about that one the other time where he had a £16 yesterday, it was, wasn't it, that came out of his wage slip, to look to the nth degree and still think, well, if he didn't if he didn't have jam butties, he could afford the mortgage if he scrapped them off. So, you know, his, his lunches at work. So, yeah, absolutely, fact find is key. Yeah. yeah. Don't be leaving them jam butties at a train station or the tube or something. You'll bloody shut down the entire... Yeah, don't work. believe in them in a bag. Absolutely, yeah, that'd be pretty dangerous. That would, but uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right, exactly right. So it's very, very important. How are things with Tracker Hub and um, and how's the new release going? What can brokers look forward to with Tracker Hub? And, and for those that don't know, give us a quick overview on what Tracker Hub does and how it can help brokers. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Well, uh, Tracker Hub is effectively a, a standalone system. It's a, an application that will track introduced business from introducers. Um, give them dashboards so you can see real-time updates and it'll help you manage your commissions and your fees. And, and, I, and I found that this was needed, gosh, well, 2010, when I became a broker. Effectively, I thought, how do I track all my business? CRM's mm, particularly great. Funny enough, it's always the bit that CRM's, I'm not saying all CRM's, because some have it, but but probably not to the nth degree that TrackRub is, uh, that they forget, they, they, they negate the introduction bit. And where do you get Referrals from, you get them from clients, if you've done a great job, uh, and you get them from uh, other businesses and introducers. So I think from that, Track Room does three things. It does refer a friend from customers. Uh, we've got a, a, a GDPR fantastic thing that can sit for £20 a month on your website and your social media 
that takes in referrals, introduce the dashboards, so introduce can send uh, referrals in. And we've got B2B now. Of course, we're working on something as well, Sean, or will be. But business to business, effectively, um, is, is businesses on Tracker Hub being able to send business to each other on the same platform. So in a nutshell, if that really is a big nutshell, that's what Tracker Hub does. Uh, we were speaking to a network last week who um quite dynamic and they've got they've got quite a lot of either new mortgage brokers newly qualified joining them or people coming back into the sector yeah um, having had taken some time out away for whatever the reasons be um we were just we were speaking with a couple of the brokers who actually asked us they said look one of the things i really want to do is kind of try and grow my referral network yes i'm going to try and build brand online yes i'm trying to be on social media yes i'm going to try and do like compliant paid promotion and things like that but what i really want is i want to go out and try and get them b2b um referrers now what is better of the two is it trying to find people who aren't doing referrals and convince them to do it or is it better to try and take market share and say, I know you're probably already referring if you like, but I, I think you should move to me or hear what I've got to say because if you were them, I, I know both really is the answer. Yeah, both, what, yeah. what do you think is the most likely? Yeah, it depends how motivated the introducer is, isn't it, really? But it's a good question. You want both, ideally. You want to take market share and new introducers. I think um, sometimes it's... It goes back to knowledge again, like a knowledge for new introducers. You know, introducers don't know how easy it is to refer on. So if you've got, if you share a tracker of dashboard, um, then effectively you can just send the referral straight to you. That's all they get. And if you're paying a percentage kickback to the introducer, tracker will show them how much they're earning. So I think then you're teaching new introducers this is easy. You send us the job. You don't have to do anything else other than sit back, send me a new referral, and I'll pay you hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And Tracker Hub will show them that. For existing introducers who don't have something like this, um, I'd say that's a good way of getting market share then because you're giving them a brand new tool to say, look what we do when you compare it to what your current broker does. Then effectively that's then reintroducing. And funnily enough, yesterday, everything happened yesterday, didn't it? But yesterday was legit. I had a message from a brand new user. They'd just finished the 30-day trial on Tracker Hub. They've got five advisors and two admins on the system working really well. And he said exactly what you just mentioned, scalability. He said, I can now use Tracker Hub to scale my business. And, and I knew that was always the case from when we created it. I created it. I sat back and I thought, yeah, this is now scalable for companies. You can now manage rather than spreadsheets all the way. You can now manage in a live environment online and we use aws you know amazon web server it's lovely and quick it's secure it's encrypted uh, and yeah so you could do both with this you can do scalability uh, and and you can obviously obviously introduce brand new introducers who have never introduced before yeah so both is still the answer yeah so hypothetically it is that you could introduce business quicker track progress better hypothetically um and therefore i guess because the biggest concern with making any introduction to a third party is that you're worried about brand your own brand damage aren't you on the basis that if you say to one of your long outstanding existing clients oh i think you should go and speak to this mortgage broker over here 
what you don't want is to meet up with them a month later and go, you know, that mortgage broken tradition was an absolute nightmare kind of thing. So I guess that the proof's always in the pudding, isn't it, in terms of how the broker then deals with those referrals that are after. But hypothetically, at least they can see that it's being serviced. Exactly, exactly. It's like my, my legal club for yourselves, isn't it? You've got real-time feedback to us brokers as you know the, the deal progresses. To an introducer, they haven't really got that, and it's perfect for what we need. It's perfect for what they need. So to see a milestones reached that, yes, the mortgage offer's gone out, completion's set for, you're now going to get 200 quid and thanks very much, or 50 quid or whatever it might be. That That's the key message that we've got as well to introducers. Um, you know, to give you a sneaky peek for next year, we've got workflow that's being introduced into Tracker Hub. So as you move to those milestones, you can then have a, a burst of reminders and tasks that automatically go out to your team on Tracker Hub. So workflow is being introduced. We've got lead pool. That's already introduced. That's no extra cost. Where The leads come in. And if you're too busy, you shove the lead into the lead pool and other team members can, who aren't as busy can bob into the lead pool, call the customer. If they answer, they can take the lead on. So lead pool's gone live. And then next year is the big customer portal for Tracker Hub plans. Now, as far as an idea goes, this was my thoughts on it, and I want your opinion now, Sean. This is me asking you something. Because we've got everything feeding into Tracker Hub, including solicitors, we've got surveyors who are using Tracker Hub, who can, and we can all share documents to each other and the client. Uh, and of course, we've got mortgage providers, we've got will writers, independent financial advisors, we've got all these lovely people that are in the mix for Tracker Hub and using it. So my question to you, Sean, is if you're a client and I gave you a Tracker Hub customer dashboard and I can send your details onto a solicitor through your version, let's say, that's linked through yours or a local solicitor, whoever it might be, and they're on Tracker Hub, everybody then feeds in and then in your customer portal, you're updated on each product, whether it's my mortgage, that survey, or that solicitor, all on the one dashboard. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's I think it's mega. I was just going to comment on the lead pool as well because I don't want to forget about that. So let, remind me to come back to that um, because I think let me comment on that now before I forget. So I think if you're a new broker building introducers, if it was me, I'd be going into Tracker Hub with the mid to long term view of of taking market share and then being dynamic and trying to pick i'd be spotting anyone new that i might be able to get hold of but even the lead pool especially in busier times in the market um prioritize that i mean that that that's almost like you kind of almost like oma model in a way um you know and and to go in there and pick that up on 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 what you were just suggesting there i think it's um i think that's an out standing idea and what service for the clients i think the biggest thing that some people have been obsessed about and i think wrongly because i think they've measured the temperature of the room completely wrong is that is that everyone became obsessed with apps and everyone forgets what we do in our lives so on my phone with my two kids i reckon i have as many apps as possibly anyone in the world right (laughs) however how often do any of them get used and i'll tell you now never right hardly ever 
Um, I don't even want to look to see. God knows what's on there. Like, do you know what I mean? But even even something stupid like Domino's, I'd forget that it's even there. So if I if I wanted the Domino's, I'd just Google it or whatever. So um, I think what's underrated, and we do this in my legal club, is we use SMS a lot. And what's interesting is a lot. I would say most clients correspond with us via SMS. Yeah, um, we it's SMS to email and it's in our CRM and it's safe and all the all the like FCA but we're fine with it when we went through our FCA process with them. Um, but that I think is is the game changer because people forget that the um, 50 and 60 year olds were on Facebook when they were in their 30s and early 40s. And, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah. kind of SMS is you're not going to get spam or junk. It's instant, and guess what? You don't get any SMS anymore. Yeah, unless that's it's important. If you were to go in your phone now, unless you're unlucky, I'd imagine your most recent SMSs might be from the doctor or the dentist or your eye opticians come up. Like it's important stuff. Whereas an email, you've got all the problems with junk and spam anyway. And the people who have been on Hotmail, Yahoo, and all that over the years, my God, you're just getting battered and bombarded, aren't you? Yeah. With stuff. So. My humble view is that when you're looking to create a client update system, I think what they want is either access to the portal, yeah, but an SMS notification to tell them that they need to log in or that something major has happened or whatever that be, or to check their email to then log in because I think that kind of SMS update, it's important, yeah, and it wouldn't be every day. So something that's every day becomes a pain. You don't want that. But a weekly SMS or when key things happen, I think everyone wants that kind of convenience. Um, and you can even set them things up where people can just reply to the text and it comes to you as an email. Um, and I, I think that's underrated. And I always think what Gary Vee always says, watch what I do, not what I say. All of Gary Vee's businesses, including I think his dad's wine um, operation in America, they all do SMS. They yeah. all have, they, he's moving them. He's clever. He's migrating his entire email newsletter list into SMS. And, and that's at key data stages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I well, think, you know, you, you how I always think, how what would we want? We always underestimate like what we would take ourselves out of the role we've got in whatever sector we work in. What is it that we would want? Would I want a text every day? No. Would I want every other day? No, not really. <laughs> Um, do I want to know about stuff that doesn't really matter? No, of course yeah, I don't. That's right. Um, but would I like a text? to tell me either how it's moved forward or to say don't let your parrot not in these words but basically don't let your paranoia kick in just because nothing's happened this week it doesn't mean this has all gone to brad pitt yeah <laughs> it it's all all right everything's cool sam i, I can cool. just enjoy me chinese saturday night i don't need to like say to uh-huh. oh my god like the mortgage is going to fall through we've not heard anything what something's gone wrong and then well, paranoia peak kicks in in me out do you know what i mean well, this was my thoughts, actually, because if I've got Tracker up and I've got a client and I want to give that client a customer portal in Tracker up, and I refer to the solicitor and they've got a key milestone, why can't that solicitor, who's got their own CRM system, surveyor's got their own CRM system, and the IFA, who does the pension advice, they've got their own CRM system. Why can't we all on one little system a tracker up system speak to the client unified a universal conversation how cool is that the customer knows who the solicitor is 
because we're going to do the surveyor is. So when the surveyor's been out, he or she then does the survey, puts a copy of the survey on Tracker Hub. It then pings an update on the customer's portal to say, look, survey's done and here's a copy. How cool's that? I've got a mortgage offer. Ping, it pings up on the customer's dashboard. They, you know, the IFA's got a, a most recent payslip for a pension, let's say. Ping, it shows up on the Tracker Hub system. So, you know, that, that's a very powerful tool. And I, my thinking behind Tracker Hub was always, well, they're using X-Plan or they're using Intelligent Office or they're using 365 or whatever, whatever system we're using. But why can't we just hop on Tracker Hub, all of us, throughout the day, spontaneously, and speak together, share business? Let's not all use different systems. Let's use different systems, but unify under one. So that, that's kind of where I'm going with it. A lot of money's been... Yeah, a lot of money has been wasted, um, I think, in one sense on apps because apps are great yeah. potentially for like signing documents electronically, getting it back encrypted and all that kind of thing. But in nowadays, there's loads of ways you can do that. And there's loads of ways on a smartphone that you can do that. You don't need an app to respond to that at all. Um, and I think, particularly in the legal industry, they've completely... They've, they've got two things wrong for me. They've overestimated massively thinking that clients want an app. They don't. And the second thing they've got a problem with is if I'm like, so bear in mind, like I, we all did it. There are exams in your life and my life, I guess, that we may well have passed them, but my God, I don't remember anything about them. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I'll tell you now, there are lawyers all over the country that specialize in crime, civil litigation, whatever, who passed the conveyance in exam and never want to go near it again and can't remember anything about it. If they logged into an app and saw title this, requisitions that, leasehold that, wouldn't have a clue. And I'm talking about potentially very experienced intelligence solicitors. Now, look at your layperson. So what they log into the app and it tells them what? A load of stuff they've got no idea about. That's right. And that's not what people want. They want to know, is everything okay? That's it. That's is all they want to know. Okay? And maybe what's happened, what's due to happen next? Do you need something from me? If, if something's outstanding, who's outstanding from? Just bog standard stuff, which funnily enough, it's weird how things go back in time to like, almost like Nokia days. With all this tech, actually SMS, I think, is the right answer rather than spending a dead expensive app for either documents, like WhatsApp, like there's so many different tools now yeah. for exchanging um, documents. You've got your Dropboxes, your WeTransfer. There's so many different things you can do. We don't need to underwrite a massive app cost and say yeah. to clients, you've got to download this app. But hey, they don't really want to. Then some will, some won't. The ones who do will forget. Then it might be a nightmare to use, might not be. Then the information in there is too cluttered. And the great thing about a text is we all know that a text has to be short and sweet, which is exactly the opposite of me in the shortness, <laughs> not the sweetness. Exactly right, yeah. And probably myself as well. Um, but, yeah, you're right. We will never do an app. We're not interested. The feedback we've had is people are sick of apps, exactly like you've said. Use the browser. Go into your tracker hub system from uh, the app. The, you know, the official browser, there's no issues with it. You don't need to be carrying apps around with you. And the great news is we are mobile compatible. You don't need an app. In fact, you'd think you're on an app in a browser. That's, what, that's how it is. That's these days. So, 
yeah, that's where we're going. We've taken on a new commercial manager, uh, Gary Styles. He, he's showing us, you know, directions that we can go. He's helping us. We've still got the support team for Track Road and we've got Jonathan heading that up. And you've got myself in the middle and all our users that are coming up with fantastic ideas. Like, for instance, the workflow. Uh, and we've also just made it, uh, we had a suggestion the other week and, I, and, I'll, uh, and I'll make it short. <clears throat> um, their advisors choose to pay the introducer rather than the company paying the introducer. So we've actually made it now where you choose. Next week, we're launching a brand new update where you choose how the introducers are paid. Is it split between the company and the advisor? Do you both pay a bit to the introducer? Does the, or does the company pay everything? Or does the advisor pay everything? So you've got three lines of the ways to pay an introducer, and that's getting released next week, and that was feedback from a user. That took us two weeks to build up. Uh, Jonathan in Australia, you know, we've got we've, he works really well. I tell him what thing what I think would work well in the day. I go to sleep at night because I do sleep a little bit, and then in the morning it's like Christmas. I wake up and it's done, and and that's perfect. The only thing I don't get is the presents. But uh, but Sean, that's exactly right, and that's us in a nutshell. Is it still the thirty day no obligation trial? It is. It is. It was our three year birthday as well, quite recently. So we've just had three years of tracker up. Starting a business from scratch, you'll probably know yourself. It's uh, it's, it's like you, it's like you've given birth. Well, like congratulations and here's to the next three, Graham. Um, yeah. And on that point, there's nothing quite like picturing something and then making it come to reality. Oh, exactly, yeah. And, and me and you'll keep working together, Sean, as well. And thanks for everything you're doing as well, because honestly, you're you're a gentleman, you're very knowledgeable. And uh, for what you do in the industry, just getting this out here, it means a lot. So well done you, Sean. Oh, bless you. I appreciate that greatly. So don't, don't make me blush any more than I already am. But thank you, Graham. And thank you so much for your time. All the value you've added in the show is amazing. Uh, obviously, I can't encourage everyone enough to go and check out Tracker Hub if you haven't already. Um, please make sure you follow Graham as well on social media. All the links um, are either if you're listening, they'll be in the podcast links below. If you're watching this, they'll be in the YouTube links below. We're going to be putting all the clips out across social media as we always do, which will be linking to Graham and Tracker Hub on. We'll put the links out for the free 30-day trial. Um, absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain on that um, thank you for being such a great guest Graham please share and spread the word about the show and if you listen on, on Apple Podcasts I'm going to be cheeky as ever and ask for a five star review but more importantly please stay well and take care